Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. Oh, nice. You went up in inflection I did, this time. I went back up in inflection. That was good. I let you down the last time. We, we were interviewing Jim Bakes uh, recently on a podcast, and uh, he went down, and it threw me off. I was yes. just like, that's not normal. That will scare you. There we go. Yeah, that, yeah. It, it actually sounded kind of scary. So oh, well, I, th- I thought I was, was good. You know, it fit. It did fit. Speaking of good fits to society, we have a, uh, a mama bear warrior uh, activist, lawyer. I don't know all the things she does. She does a lot of things. We're going to talk about them, but she's doing incredible things to help our our uh, our people here in Indiana and around the nation. Uh, Leah Wilson, who leads the Stand for Health Freedom movement. Thank you for joining us in the studio today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to, Great to have you. Yeah. So Leah, um, tell us a little bit about this uh, Stand for Health Freedom movement. Uh, now, did you start it? Were you part of a team that started it? What was, how did this happen? Because you guys have done an incredible job over the last two and a half years of uh, building this grassroots organization that's big, powerful, effective. And I wanted, I wanted the listeners to kind of hear about your organization, but also how you just as a kind of this, you know, you know, I would say unassuming, you know, you're a sweet looking, you know, mom that, you know, like now like people would walk down the street and go, oh, I'm sure she's just very meek and mild. And here you are like pushing and shoving legislators into submission like our, our republic was supposed to be done. And, you know, I just want people to know, like, you know, how do you become this, for lack of a better word, warrior in today's culture that you've, that you've become? It's a great question. We could take it many different directions, right? So um, practicing law several years ago, and my main passion, what my heart really bled for, was the foster kids. And I had gone to law school because of my passion to help foster children to stop the high rates of kids aging out of foster care, you know, ending up at age 18 or 21, depending on what state you live in, with no home at Mm. the end of the day, Mm. no place to... um, be grounded to and then expecting these kids to somehow succeed and overcome the recidivism rates and the prostitution and drug addiction. And it just didn't make sense to me. So that was, you know, something that I had really given myself to and become an advocate for abused and neglected children. And we, through our own fertility journey, we, my husband and I always thought we're going to wait until our kids are grown and we're going to minister to those that are aging out, you know, and give them a place to call home. And God had different plans. So we became foster parents much younger. And when it came time to renew our foster license, the state of Indiana decided that the Wilson family is now a threat to the welfare of the foster kids. (laughs) Holy cow. And we said, (laughs) okay, so what changed between our last placement and this placement? And it was simply that the bureaucrats there were deciding to read an existing law, nothing had changed about the law, um, differently, which said that if um, there's a health condition in the home that's a threat to the welfare of the child, then they are not eligible to be foster care licensed. And it was my kid's vaccine status, which oh is interesting God. because wow. this, is, this is back in 2018, right? So this was well before this issue took the world stage of vaccine status being kind of a mark on your name or your papers, whichever direction you go. So I said, okay, God, this is too big to fight and too big to walk away from. Where do we go from here? The deception that these kids are better off sleeping 
on the office floor at DCS at the Department of Child Services than in our safe and loving home. Wow. And and your husband's a a chiropractor, you know, a a very esteemed case on WIBC every Saturday morning, you know, talking about health and and you are too you joined as well sometimes and but you guys are kind of the i would say the model uh american family if you look at like you know just loving home you love the lord your your pro-american values like it's just like how is it that the system looked at you guys and said nope not fit to help these kids that are now going to be living on the streets, you know? And it wasn't just us. We heard it from dozens of families in Indiana and across the nation right around the same time. And so, you know, what do we do to bust through these lies to create policies in our communities that reflect truth, Mm. you know, that reflect something that actually allows us to support the children that need us the most. And it became very apparent that um, the foster kids aren't the only ones that are being harmed by public health policy, that it's every child, which that's hard for us to deny in 2023 because the last three years we've watched kids be excluded from school based on their vaccine status. We've watched athletes be segregated and say, oh, you can't play for two weeks even though your counterpart had the same exposure but has a different medical treatment. So the vaccine status issue has become a bigger deal over the last three years and people can see that it's not just the foster kids that are um, floundering and being harmed by these bad policies, but it's every kid that is today sitting in a financially or spiritually destitute home because of fear of a three-year-long pandemic. And every child who, quite frankly, is subject to the CDC 79 doses of vaccines without any thought being given to it. You know, not every child fares well under that schema. Can can you say that again? How many many vaccines? We're up to 79 doses on the CDC recommended schedule. Holy crap. Which is what a lot of pediatricians' offices go by that. That's the standard of care, even though there's a distinction between what is required to step foot in a school or a child care facility. So, um, holy crap. And, and you hear all the time, you hear physicians, it's like they are just robots repeating a narrative. Well, the CDC says, the CDC says, I've really lost a lot of faith in our medical system over the last, our our caregivers in the last three years, because that, it's like they don't even think for themselves anymore. It's just whatever the CDC says, that's all I do. I'm like, oh, do you not actually have eyes? Can you not, do you not have a brain? Can you not see that maybe this situation might be a little bit different and unique and might require a specific type of care that maybe the CDC just doesn't apply in this one instance. And it's like, they won't even take that into consideration is, anymore. Is that, is that because of their, of their fear, fear of that getting, they're going to get sued or is that lose their license? So, so it's the threat of force. Yeah. Which Dr. Stock, which we've had in, yeah. uh, and yeah, he, awesome. he's, he did this enlightening talk. Once I heard him say how the licensing boards have basically just become this, they're this, the mafia, it's this racket that birthed out of the 50s and 60s where you had these self-proclaimed experts just got together and say, we'll give an, we'll give an affiliation stamp of approval if people pay us 50 bucks. But then they started lobbying the government and saying, hey, make it so that everyone has to come through us 
first to actually be able to practice. So it'd be like Nathan, you and I saying, we're going we're gonna to give the stamp of approval for pastors, right? And pay us 50 bucks, pastors, and we'll, we'll give the Micah and Nathan stamp of approval. You got our stamp of approval. But then we say, hey, what if we go to the legislators and we say, anyone who wants to be a pastor, give them to pass a bill that requires pastors to come through Nathan and I to get certified to be pastors. And then guess what? We can charge $2,000, $3,000 because they have to come through us because the government is forcing them to do it. We would all look at that and be like, that's the most like uh, unethical, like terrible thing we could ever do. That's how the licensing boards were created. And that's what they're doing. And, and so now there, you have these doctors that are, that are stuck. They're like, I, I have to do what the board says, even if I don't want to, you know how many Leah, do you know how many times I, I talked to doctors privately off the record in the last three years? And they said, I don't want to do what they're forcing me to do, but I have to do it because if I don't, I'll lose my job. Absolutely. It was dozens. Not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Dozens of doctors came to me privately. It's like, I can't say this publicly because I'll, I'll, I'll lose my license. It's I don't, like, I don't want to be doing this. It's like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yeah. You know, yep. when you hear the music play, you fall on your knees, you begin to pray. <laughs> That's what we're going to yeah. tell you to do. And if you don't, you know, we're going to destroy your life. You mentioned something earlier. You said fear. You yeah. said you said fear, Leah. So it was this idea of kind of just fear taking the world by storm. And before we started, we we started recording, and this happens every time. Nathan has these great conversations that are going that are going on prior to recording. So Listen, you, I the talk, listeners, I can't tried hear. To talk it. about like babies. <laughs> we were talking about babies, but it was a it was an amazing conversation. I said, "Guys, stop!" Because now yeah, we're not going to we we got to talk about it Did while I not we're tell recording. You that he would yell at me. <laughs> I told you. I'm not yelling. I'm just giving you oh, critical no. feedback. Oh, I know. It's critical yeah. feedback. It's not criticism. <laughs> okay. So what were you guys, what were you guys talking about? Like re rehash that conversation a little bit, the fear conversation. It what? was actually totally irrelevant, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just got told that by a lawyer. Hey. That's awesome. It's not germane to the conversation. <laughs> so, so. Talking about my own personal life she, of um, yeah. of having children in the year of twenty twenty three. Oh, but but it still was fear. Like that's the like the doctors are doing what they're doing out of fear. And you're you 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 mentioned fear earlier, and right. and so I just think the idea that fear has become such a prevalent, you know, yeah. force. And I think we want to figure it out. Like, what are we living through right now? What yeah. does it mean to us and our children? Are we in the last yeah. days, friends? Who knows? You know yeah. what I mean? And so how do we pace through our life contemplating, are we living in the last days? And that's when you... Yeah, it was it was about raising children. You know, my, my kids are 19 and 21, and you said you have an 11-year-old, a 6-year-old, and you're just about to ready to have, have a baby. And and uh, I don't know, we were talking about... Oh, the, you're pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I always assume, yeah, I always assume you're not pregnant. I learned the hard way. I said, yeah. you're pregnant once a, a woman who was not pregnant. But I think because... <laughs> Only have to learn that lesson once. <laughs> <laughs> because of the day and age we're living in, I often hear uh, parents about to bring a child into the world. They they say, you know, this world is really wicked. What am I bringing a child into? In fact, um, my grandmother said that to my mother in 1971, she said, uh, Kathy, I thought you were a Christian woman. How could a Christian woman bring a baby into the world, an innocent life, into a world that's so wicked? And my mom countered her, and she was just 22 years old, Twenty, yeah, 22 years old. But she said, my, 
my kids, mom are going to make a difference in this mm. world. And I, I, um, all my siblings have gone on to go into full-time ministry. We've given our life to the kingdom of God because we saw what was modeled by my mom and dad. But the the principle that I hear a lot of people in our church, as, as they're getting pregnant, they're, they're wondering, is this okay? Have I done something wrong? And I kind of come back and I say, you know, the Bible says that, that uh, you know, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And a lot of people say, well, there's too many people on the earth. But God has never rescinded, be fruitful and multiply. And so therefore it is still, I, I got thinking about this the other day, I'm reading this book and that's kind of where, you know, you're saying, where did this conversation come from? But the first thing that God ever told us to do was to be fruitful and multiply. That was the first great commission. Mm-hmm. The second great commission was go into all the world where all those people now exist, take them the gospel. You know, go go everywhere. The second great commission, and um, and so we, we were just talking about what is you know having kids in the world today when we see government rising up against us to try and put us down using fear tactics. And I, I'm reading this book, and it I, I didn't expect to be reading it, but it, it it's kind of weird. It, it's called Dating God and Other Bad Ideas, mm. and it and it it talks about this <laughs> this chapter. Wait, 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 what? Dating God, dating and, other God and other bad ideas. Dating, I thought, is that, dating comma God, or are you dating no, God? No, dating, dating, God. dating God. You know how like a lot of people, they, they say, oh, I just need to date God. I need, is, this the, is this the author who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye? No, Same different guy? person, different person. This this person is phenomenal. That guy was a Nimrod. Um, <laughs> Tell so, us what you really think. Yeah, yeah. right. So, that, that book changed my life, Pastor Nathan. Yeah. Oh, Let's the divide co- on that point. Yeah. <laughs> The concept is, though, that you have to go all in with the Lord, mm. and you can't just date him. He's not He's not offering to be your boyfriend. He's offering to be your husband, you know? And so you, you got to commit totally. Dating life and married life are two totally different things. And, and so this chapter was on fear. Fear is not something that the Christian is allowed to do. Mm. We're, we're told 360 times. Do not fear. And yet, everything being brought against us with the cancel culture of our life today is fear-based. The only fear that is endorsed by God is the fear of the Lord. And every other fear is you giving giving too much power to something over you. And, and, and with all these medical professionals, you guys are being hit with, if you don't, we'll destroy you. Well, we're, we're, we face the same thing as pastors. We have calls. I mean, I, 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 I we should really keep we should a record, record of all fun. of the calls that we've gotten <laughs> about, you know, firing Micah. Um, <laughs> because, Conditions are out. That's right. Yeah. It's hilarious. Because it's, it's fun. It's actually fun to listen to, but it's fear <laughs> um, that, that they think that you'll capitulate to if you don't. Don't do what we say. You think and you're going to lose your nonprofit status because Mike is too political? <laughs> oh, they've tried. They've tried. I to mean, be, that's what. To it, be honest, yeah. it might be one of the best things in the world if the church did lose it, because uh, yeah, would it cost us more? Yeah, muzzled, it, it muzzled. would. Church but it would totally, it would totally, it would bring out the lions, the teeth of the church. Yeah, mm. yeah. It would be probably again. They threaten that all all day long. I'm like, well, you're threatening me with a good time right now because all that will do is it'll embolden. God's true church and the warriors will come out with such force at that point and be like, cause right now, I mean, pastors won't speak out politically on anything. And a lot of times they use the, 
nonprofit status, which is a joke. You can speak out whatever you want to say. That does not stop you from speaking out politically, but they've used it as kind of this cover. At that point, you know, now you don't have that cover to hide on. So now hide under. So now you either have to, as a pastor, say, I'm not speaking out about it because I either believe that what the left is saying is true or I'm afraid to do it or you actually end up doing it. And so you can't hide anymore. Everyone's going to know where you truly stand. And so that, I think that would be a great thing. We see that we saw that Leah in 2020 in 2021. I mean, the pastors or the churches or the leaders like yourself that said, I'm not hiding and I'm bold. I'm going to speak out. We really saw the wheat separating from the chaff in a lot of ways. And so going back to you now, so this, you, you started this movement, you saw, you saw the, the fear, um, you know, around you within, within the medical community, you, you decided to do something about it. So take us down that path. What, how did you go from, okay, foster care system said you were unfit because of your health status, your vaccine status, what, what happened next? So where we really um, went was, you know, this darkness won't be able to win the day the bad policies if enough people know the truth and are empowered to do something about the truth. That's right. And we saw this hole in the health freedom movement because we've been a part of natural health for a long time now. My um, husband owns one of, and operates one of the largest natural health centers in the Midwest right here, Max Living Indy, Indy Family Chiropractic. And so we had been a part of this natural health world and a part of the legal world. And there was this converging that was coming about with this bad public health policy. We said, well, if enough people know the truth, then we will see a cultural shift. And there's even Harvard research that says, you know, this, this helps embolden people that says if three and a half percent of the population, if this small remnant has a peaceful protest, then a Political cultural shift will not fail. Mm. We have never seen failure for a sh- cultural shift with three and a half percent of a peaceful protest. And that really um, shapes our mission at Stand for Health Freedom to gather the numbers, like our strength in numbers as the people. This is a grassroots movement. This is not about a top down structure like we're fighting against. You know, we're not building that up. This is about nurses and moms and dads and teachers and pastors. Um, in everyday caregivers who want to say how they govern their own households, their own bodies, and how they raise up and train their children, especially when it comes to their health. Because I think we can all agree that the intersect of that religious freedom and how you parent and how you steward your physical body, there's just so much overlap. It cannot be unintertwined. Mm-hmm. And to be empowered to clearly make decisions instead of just nodding your head when the CDC says so, is um, that's a scary thing for the powers that be. Because when the people take their power back, we're, we're really going to see communities come alive again. And that's our desire is for parents to take their power back and for individuals to take their power back as it relates to governing their own mind, body, and spirit. And when you're being forced or coerced, whatever spectrum that falls upon, to um, take a specific medical test or procedure or shot or jab, whatever it is, then there's this cognitive dissonance, this violation that happens in um, too much it's caused permanent or long-term or severe harm. And um, when we see these people who are coming to us who have been affected by these bad policies and they finally want 
to recognize, hey, I'm the only one that's spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically responsible for myself and for my children. The people who told me to do this are not responsible in any of those ways. Then it st- people start to wake up. But what we refuse to submit to is that it's going to take over half our population experiencing that level of harm before we see a shift. Mm. We want to get ahead of that. We want to reach people before that much devastation happens. And so what does that look like? We don't know, but our, our effort is to be faithful in educating communities on what the true issues are when it comes to these public health policies and what we can do about it together Mm. as showing our strength in numbers with a message that is peaceful, the peaceful protest that people can join in with us that my neighbor can hear what I have to say because I'm not trying to burn the house down with my message. I'm simply trying to convey something that is in their backyard and they don't know. They don't know that it's behind the tree in their backyard. But if I can point out to them, hey, this affects you and your family, and here's what we can do about it together, then we can have forward movement. This reminds me of a story in scripture. This is Jesus, sex, and politics. So it is our job to relate this back to the Bible to show that this is like, this is where our faith is. But it's, it's, uh, it's Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they go to Babylon and they're living in a you know, a place that's not a Christian culture, it's not a Jewish um, culture, but they're they're kind of a fish out of water, but they're standing on their own. They're in the um, the school, the academy, the King's Academy, and they're told that you are going to eat this meat, you are going to eat, or you're going to drink the King's wine, this is what you must put into your body. And they, 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 uh, you know, it's really Daniel that, that, inspires the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he goes, guys, that's not what we were taught. That's unclean food. That is not what we were supposed to do. That's not, they're, they're literally just teenagers at this point because they have, they're the princes of Israel that have been taken out. They're the best of the land that have been taken into captivity by and, Babylon. And they're the OGs of the Stand for Health Freedom movement. Yes, they sure are. That's right. That's right. You know, there you go. But, we decide what goes into our body. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. But they're being told, no, you have to, you have to have this. And, and it's, and it's the, uh, it, it's the chief eunuch who's over all these young men. And he's, he says, look, which in itself is really, you know, bad day for that guy well, but, because they're emasculated. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what does emasculated people do? They push down on other people to say, I've been emasculated. You be emasculated. Yeah. And so these guys stand up and go, no, not today. And, and they say, Hey, uh, let's do a test. Let's do a 10 day test. You, you, you will eat vegetables and drink water and, and you have all the other guys, they do the king's meat and the king's wine. And after 10 days, examine us and see which of us is, is better. See which one of us, our, our skin is better. See which one of us, our, our minds are clearer. Uh, look at our grades. Look, look, you set up the test, but, but just give us 10 days to prove it. Which is honestly not that much time no right? you're like no okay i could do a 10 but, day but yeah. in the spirit of peaceful protest of what you just said here's four guys who stand up against the entire academy and the guy goes okay i'll give you 10 days mm. right just show me show me the money and at the 10 day at the end of 10 days he examines them and there was no one sharper than these four young men and and he goes okay you can keep doing what you're doing we do have precedent in scripture for rebelling against what people try to tell us to put in our bodies. These are our heroes of the faith. And, and, and so there's nothing wrong 
with what you're saying, biblically speaking. Christians can rebel, and we are the story of people who think for ourselves. Our scientists are supposed to check the data and not capitulate to what everybody says. So what you're really doing is is really the Lord's work. You're leading a you're, spiritual you're, it's a, it's revolution. A freedom. Yeah. It's a freedom pr- protest, which is right in line with Scripture. Well, and you, you talked about it a lot, the truth, giving people the truth. Well, what does the truth do in Scripture? We know Set you free. You will know the truth, and the yes. truth will set you free. And there's this huge, when you look at the freedom movement, there's such a focus on rights, 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 but are we forgetting the duty part? And that's where Stand for Health Freedom came in to try to fill this hole of what do we do about it? What is your role in this legislative process, which is very nebulous and foreign to the vast majority of the population? And so if we have a duty to speak up, to use our voice, and then to make decisions that are congruent with our religious beliefs, with what is best for our own children, what does that look like? How do we take the rights and the duty and marry them together so that we are effective in this peaceful protest together? And I think that's what a lot of people have forgotten yeah. is the duty side of what these rights are that are God-given rights, are rights that we are born with. Um, and we so quickly forget that the government doesn't get to say what we keep and what we don't keep, that we shape that. And our voices I, we, do matter. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm very thankful for this season that we've walked through as a nation. And I know it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's been, you know, we haven't seen a lot of loss, but I'm thankful in the sense that our generation, you know, Leah, Nathan, myself. I'm Gen X. I don't know how old well, she is. Uh, are you a millennial? You're a millennial. I'm millennial. Okay, I'm millennial too. You're you're super old. Nathan. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 45. <laughs> we were trying to plan the Malexit for a while there, and then I figured out God actually had a purpose for our generation. That's so right. Yeah, stay we'll stay, <laughs> stick around for a little bit. But but we have never. Our generations have never really had to defend freedom. If you look at our parents' generation, there there was they stood up to the Soviets. You know the Cold War. Mm-hmm. If you look at the our grandparents' generation, greatest generation, they they stood up to the fascists and and World War II. Then you had World War One, a generation before that. You had um, you know the Civil War before that, and you had the Revolution before that. So in America, our generation was spoiled. We were super spoiled leading up to 2020. We didn't know that freedom cost something. We just thought it was always the way it was. And which is so far from the truth. If you've ever looked at world history, what we have here is such a is such a gem. This is a needle in a haystack um, blessing. This it doesn't happen. And so, I think twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one woke us up. Our generations, at least at least the remnant, at least the remnant, yes. at least three percent. I would say I, there a good probably more than that actually have have woken up may not be the majority of our generation but there is there are millennials and gen xers that have said oh my gosh we need to fight for our freedom this is our this is our moment in history to defend freedom for our children and they'll have to do the same there will be a battle that they'll have to fight some somewhere down the road but we were getting spoiled and i'm thankful that this kind of said no 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 we have a duty to stand and defend what is right in the eyes of God, even if man tells us not to do it. You have a basic concept that is so at play in people's minds. It's it's that I and my family, we, we really belong to the government. You know, my kids do not belong to the government. Mm-hmm. 
I don't share them with the government. We do not co-parent no, with the government. You, you, the government works for me, not me for them. Mm-hmm. And we've, we're losing that basic thought in America. And when, when we're trying to, oh, please get my kid into a government school. I, I must take that, that, that uh, vaccine in order to get my kid into a government school. Like we're looking for what government can give us. And so we're playing the games and jumping through the hoops. We do it even when we, uh, I don't want get to get in trouble here, but, but when we what? start. What? Here, when has that ever here's, stopped us? Well, no, it, this is what I mean by that. I think sometimes we even, we, we push our kids off onto, onto other people to raise, not just the schools, but we did it with babysitting in many ways. For convenience sake. It, it's, yeah. I, I have, we have to have these two incomes because that's what everyone else does. And we have to make this amount of money and we have to be able to have all these pleasures that everybody else has. But nobody can raise our kids better. I, 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 I believe no one can raise my children better than my wife. No one will possibly love them more than, than, than their mom. And, and I don't, you know, we, we, we blur all these lines of what is, what we're supposed to do to keep up with the Joneses. And then we start taking in other thoughts where, of course, I need government to help me raise my child. Of course I need that. That's, it's that fear again. It's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. It's if we don't meet this financial threshold, we cease to exist. Yeah. We become irrelevant in our own community and society if we can't, um, you know, the financial aspect and the convenience that America has bowed to is just insane. And so what does our fight for freedom look like yeah. today? You know, yeah. so many families have upended how they live in order to prioritize freedom. It cost them something. Their freedom was costly. And we look at a lot of families who are just not there yet. You know what I mean? That the value of freedom is still too costly for them when it comes to keeping up with the American standards. But I see what you, what you meant now about not getting in trouble. You're sitting here talking to a working woman and you said that someone else is raising my children. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I feel, Did you see that death glare that she gave you? When, exactly, uh, though, <laughs> that's that's the way, though, that a lot of a lot of women they they believe. I'll be I'll be honest. There's so many women they feel like they have to carry this weight of you know go back to the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden didn't say that the woman was going to have to work by the sweat of her brow. So the man it says it to the man, mm-hmm. the woman's the woman's. Uh, part of the curse that she would bear was for family. Mm. And so a lot of men put this weight on their wives to carry the finances. And that, that God did not put on women, mm. but men did. And, and so does a man turn around and then carry all that weight for family the way that a woman does? No, not always does he do that. So I'm just talking biblically speaking because you go back to the Daniel thing. What is Daniel making his concept on? On the word of God. That's right. And he's saying, this is what is clean. This is what is unclean. This is what, I, I go back and I look at just society because once again, it goes, it goes to, I got to get my kid into this preschool, which means they have to have all these vaccines and I, I've got to do all this stuff. When you get your kid into college, it's the same thing. You have to have all these vaccines or, or they won't let them in. And and, and the question is, is there a point where God's people just go, hey, government, screw you. 
We're not doing it. We're, we're not going to play by your rules and your standard. You know, what is all the women working doing in some ways? It's more taxpayers. It's more taxes. It's more income for the government. But is it happier families? Are, are we better families as a result of, of not having mom at the helm? you know, in, in, in the kids' lives. And all of us have churches full of, you know, I know that there's tons of you out there that you're working. I'm not saying that you can't work. This isn't an issue of whether you're capable or you're smart enough. It's just a question of, are there seasons in your life where you do that and not do that? And then there's, are there seasons in your life where, where, where what you, the choice that you make, the price that you pay, ends up being so much better off for your kids, which is ultimately the greatest legacy of your life. Right. And God will grant ease where that balance is in that season. You know, yeah. if, when we're um, trudging uphill with a boulder on our back, we have to ask, is this where God really has me in this season? Yep. Cause he will grant that ease. Well, and he says, my burden is, is light, you know, like, so if you, if you're carrying a heavy, heavy burden right now, yeah, that's a great point. Ask yourself, am I really walking in the path God has for me? Mm-hmm. And I feel personally like when you start walking in that path that God has for you, it's like it's like a boat that was made for water, and and finally you get to you get launched into that awesome lake, and you just get to you get to roll. You know, I, I've I've used this analogy before, like uh, a master craftsman builds this boat, and the boat you know has a has a mind of its own, but it it's never seen the water and just lives on the trailer, and it it thinks its whole purpose in life is just to be on a trailer being pulled around by a, a, a car, right? It doesn't even know what it was designed for. But then when it hits that water and it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I was designed for. I mean, it, it you come to life you, when you're doing exactly what you're doing. I get the sense, Leah, with you and Stanford Health Freedom that the last couple of years for you have been this aha moment. We're like, wow, God has really put me in this, this season of purpose to do what my giftings have really kind of set me up to do this is kind of like for such a time as this in your in your uh, in your life maybe I that's I don't want to speak for you but I I from a distance it looks like that that's what's going on right and wrestling with that you know God is this really where you have me in this season and um you know He places things in our path that support our ability to train up our children in His ways you know the. The child care that he has brought me was a clear sign of this is an angel in your home. Mm. The prayer Praise warriors God. that he has brought us to um, pray over Stand for Health Freedom on a weekly basis, on a continual basis, as they stay plugged into what we're doing is another sign of God saying, you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing. You know, the relationships and doors he's opened in government and state houses and, um, and governorships and things like that with our team is just another, you know, symbol that, God is anointing and giving favor to this movement because I truly believe what you all already um, alluded to that this is God's work, you know, that we're doing this because people deserve better because families deserve to know that we've received this progressive overlay that the experts know best. And that removes that communion with God to open our minds and spirits to who actually knows best for where he has you at any given point in time and what he has for your children. So talk about that a little bit, practically speaking. So it's kind of the heart behind what you're doing, but the, the, the how now is, is, is pretty interesting. So you're working with a team of people 
um, you understand and watch kind of for health bills, things when the government might want to sneak something in that's going to remove the authority, chip away at the authority of maybe parents and the health decisions that they get to make for their kids when it comes to public schools. You're kind of that watchman on the tower. You've got some bills in this current Indiana session right now that you guys are are supporting you're also got some bills that you're trying to kill. Uh, walk us through kind of that and then what people can do to, tr- to help you in your cause. Yes. Yeah, so if you zoom out the big picture, you know, we have made it clear that we're disciplined in our mission that if you and I can agree that we should be the ones that decide how to govern our own bodies and how to uh, make healthcare decisions for our own children, then we can stand together in this. Yeah. And that's what we're going to stay disciplined to is that core issue of informed consent, religious freedom, parental rights, and privacy. Those are the really the pillars, the tenets of this mission and movement with Stanford Health Freedom. And real quick too, not, not to interrupt you, but I love that about the Stanford Health Freedom movement. I remember last year I was testifying down at the state house and I was riding up in L elevator with two, I think I'm pretty sure they were lesbians. I mean, they, they were holding hands and, you know, and they had purple hair. I mean, it was, it was the kind of stereotypical, like, okay, you're not a traditional conservative right there. Right. And, and so they're like, uh, what do you, what are you, what are you here for? And I'm like, well, I'm testifying for, uh, in favor of this health freedom bill that we want to see get passed because it'll protect people's health freedom. They're like, no way we are too. And like we high five in the elevator and we, yeah, let's go get them, you know? And so you got this, you know, traditional Christian conservative who's high fiving these, you know, these, uh, I would probably think that in every other aspect, they would probably disagree with me, on on but in this one particular you know wor- uh, worldview we're like right there and say no I, I i believe you should have a right to your your health freedom and and they were right there with me on that and i just thought that was kind of cool i was like man we can we can find this common ground and it's a battle worth uniting and 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 defending so i don't want to interrupt you but it just brought back that that thought. Yes. Uh, and we can, by staying true to that, we can grow yeah. the largest movement possible for health freedom. Yeah. We don't have to divide on other things. And we can then recognize that these this unifying matter is it rises above the two-party system. Yeah. You know, do we think that we have a savior in a single political party? Do we think we have a savior in the, the, the sustaining of a two-party system? Those are all questions we don't have to agree upon because our issue filters through and rises above um, what that is. It's a true kitchen table issue, but so yes, and it's grassroots, you know, this is all about us empowering you to contact the right person at the right time with a message that is full of integrity. You know, we don't go toe to toe on science because that's not the point. We stick to the constitutional rights, the data, the um, God given natural freedoms that we all espouse in empower people arm them with these messages so that together we can be using these um, effective talking points so to speak to influence and shape public policy so hit on that you said you don't go toe-to-toe on the science so what does that mean so does because i could i could see somebody who's maybe against you in the movement saying oh well that means you don't want to debate the science because the science really isn't on your side therefore the health freedom movement doesn't believe in quote-unquote science, which, and I use air quotes because, you know, (laughs) Dr. Fauci has proclaimed that he is science. So, you know, what is science, right? But, but do you not, when you're looking at the data, you won't argue the science aspect. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like what, explain that. So there's consensus based science is a myth. 
and we're never going to get a consensus on true science because that defies what science is. And so if we're going to base our constitutional rights, our God-given rights, these foundational freedoms such as parental freedom on the newest and latest and greatest science, no matter who funded it, then what are we arguing for? You know, and so it's, I can always bring you my science and you can bring me your science and we disagree. Yeah. And are we going to base our constitutional liberties so you're, on that? So you're putting constitutional rights trump the science. And that's, which I agree with that 100%. I just want to make sure the listeners catch that, that the health, the Stanford Health Freedom Movement is about, it, you can you can have your science, I can have my science, but at the end of the day, the thing that we we cannot compromise is our constitutional, God-given inalienable rights, and we're not stepping off of that battle right there. The only, the only problem is, is that a lot of people don't even know. They, they still believe that freedom comes from government. They don't yeah. realize that these freedoms are from God. Did you hear uh, Kamala Harris uh, uh, on the anniversary of Roe? She got up to speak and she talked about the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, Declaration of Independence basically says the inalienable rights that, that are given to us by our creator are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And she got up and she was like, uh, you know, we have these rights that are guaranteed to us in our Declaration of Independence, life. Or she says, uh, uh, she, she says, um, liberty and the pursuit of happiness so she 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 removes she removes life from from her talking point and everyone's like uh hey you forgot that really important first one there uh miss madam vice president and it was the omission of things to that uh, like what they forgot do. nothing that's right yeah i know she did didn't purpose, purposely removed it did she, speak? she i don't think i don't think she came out with uh she she uh, just cackles whenever yeah. you ask her any question that well, it's kind of like Joe Biden. You know the thing, the yeah. thing, the inalienable rights by, by the, my Corvette. By the thing, yeah. So, <laughs> But anyway, all that to say, yes, continue, uh, Leah, there with and, kind of that thought. And let me make it clear. We are pro-science. Yeah. But our rights don't depend upon us agreeing yes. on the science. It's good. And if you look at the sham science that has been used to enforce mask mandates. Oh, my gosh. And federal travel bans and et cetera, et cetera. What are we doing? Yeah. You know, it's daily. And the, the did you see a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pfizer was outed by James O'Keefe and the Project Veritas, where it was their executive basically saying, we, we know that COVID was from the Wuhan lab. We're taking COVID. We're trying to mutate it to where it's more deadly, but we want to come up with a vaccine first before we leak it into the public. He literally said this on tape that Pfizer is working to create a stronger COVID virus that they can create a vaccine for preemptively. They'll leak the virus so that we all start dying and getting it. And then we've got to come to them and get the vaccine from them. And it's their cash cow. He said that verbatim on that video. And to your point, Leah, that those are the people that are saying, oh, we know the science behind this, the science. Yeah, the science of death, destruction, and and then, hey, we've got we've got the solution over here, but you're going to have to pay us a lot of money so that, for it. So that reductionist point of view is if you look at this little part about how contagious a virus is, then we're forced to follow you. You know, so yeah, that's right. where that's where we don't um, we don't get hung up on 
a, a single data point of science mm-hmm. and to look at how often these well-respected journals in the medical industry are retracted or um, taken down. It's how can we change our rights every day based upon how that ebbs and flows and changes and progresses because science is meant to progress. Yeah. Science is meant to new discoveries and that doesn't change that our freedoms going back to what is the cost of freedom and are we willing to pay that cost in order to see our families and communities thrive? So we empower people to be aware of the issues that would affect their parental rights, religious freedom and all of that as it relates to informed consent, knowing exactly what it means to do nothing about a health issue or do something and what those somethings are. What are your options? Too often we walk into a provider's office and you're given one option and if you don't do it, you'll die. And if you don't do it, you're a negligent parent without being able to ask, what are the other options? And are you going to tell me truthfully what those options are and what the outcomes could be, what the cost of this option is, what the benefit of this option is. So that cost benefit analysis is something that we really try to educate on and then empower people to um, use their voice to protect their ability to continue to weigh those costs and benefits for themselves and for their children. So what that looks like, we have 27 state directors across the U.S. Um, We started in 2019. So we're up to those 27 states. Our goal is to be in all 50 wow. states. So 2019, this birthed out of your foster care uh, experience that you went through. Yes. I think that's fascinating that the Lord was positioning you even Amen. before the COVID thing took the world. I mean, 2019, nobody even probably knew what COVID was, mm-hmm. you know, in the general population. And yet the Lord was, he, he caused that strife, which was probably in 2018 when you went through the the foster care thing, like it, it was probably heartbreaking for you in a lot of ways and probably like, Lord, what are you doing? How is this not like, how's this happening? But he was allowing that to position you to lay the foundation because he knew exactly what was going to be coming down the horizon. I think that's, that's fascinating. And it's, yeah, it's just been, it's been in our family to fight hard for kids. You know, we fought hard for those foster kids. We fought hard for our own biological kids Mm. through fertility battles, through loss and multiple pregnancies. And, um, and now God has just put us on this path where we're fighting hard for all kids, for all American school children, for all children who are born to these parents who have these freedoms that they're unaware of, you know? And so it's, there's, there's been a lot of healing in it, you know, selfishly that I don't look back on our foster care journey and have an ounce of bitterness. There are some times where I long to be serving in that capacity, but there's zero bitterness because God has taken us on this journey to make it purposeful. Mm. And um, so those 27 state directors are really pivotal in knowing the cultural um, values and pain points when it comes to sending your kids to school, when it comes to making health choices for your kids, working without bowing to medical mandates, et cetera. So those, those grassroots experts um, are using our team as a resource to put action behind their needs. And we help them connect with the right person at the right time with that message that has legal and um, the legal integrity behind it. So 27 states and you're in right now. Yes, and we're up to over half a million people taking action, but we have a lot of work to do. So you have a half a million people within your kind of database that are part of the Stand for Health Freedom movement. That have taken action with us. Okay. That have at one point in time sent a message to their lawmaker, made a phone call, 
or, um, you know, those are the two primary ways we do have Twitter, you know, you can tweet out the message. There's different creative avenues for this, these digital actions that we can take together. And then you see the, these people, their legs go from wobbly to sturdy and their voice starts manifesting in other ways within their communities, which is exciting here in the state of Indiana. You know, we take the 22,000 that have taken action through Stand for Health Freedom, and you've seen a portion of those start to show up at the state house. And then you see another portion who have started county groups to show up at their own commissioner meetings and their public health meetings. And we've empowered them to um, become engaged locally because freedom is local first, right? Freedom is within your home within your community, your town, your county, and then your state, and then your country. And heaven forbid we get outside of that and talk about the freedoms that can be taken away by these NGOs at the, oh my gosh. At the global level. Yeah. You know, and that's where we are. Like Interpol it's, and the world police and, yeah. If you want to know how yeah. to fight the WHO and all of these transnational yeah. movements, it's, it's at home with your own family and in your own County showing up at your commissioner's meetings. That's mm-hmm. how we, that's how we went against the WHO mm-hmm. and people don't recognize that this Mount Everest in front of you is irrelevant when you operate out of freedom on your own turf. Yeah. Which you know? on, on that note, go back to history and history actually proves this point. Uh, the Japanese were asked why they didn't take California and move into the mainland after they bombed Pearl Harbor. Too many Be- guns because, in the hands of the citizens. Yeah, because they military historians said that if they would have just moved up to California before the United States was able to rally a defense, they could have gone. They could have marched all the way from California to the Mississippi with very little military resistance on behalf of the United States protecting its citizens. But they said, the Japanese said, we knew that there was a gun behind every blade of grass in, in that land. And we were not, we, we could have done it, but we knew we would take heavy casualties because every, every American had a gun and they knew how to use it. And that's that point. We, we have built this land of freedom and it's an individual freedom. I'm going to carry a gun I'm going to be able to protect myself from any any force, any any threat, whether it's a military or an outside military or a robber breaking in my home. And that right there in that instance in time saved who knows how many lives because the Japanese were not willing to put their, you know, their money where their mouth was essentially and and try something like that. And that was because we have fought for freedom in our homes in our counties, in our states, and in our nation. And it protected us from an outside force that, yeah, they, they, hurt, they hurt us bad on, Pearl, uh, on December 7th, 1941 at Pearl Harbor, but God, God knows what they could have done if they would have. Hitler ran in the same thing in Switzerland. He never went into Switzerland because every man was required to own and know how to operate a submachine. Wow, amazing. Love it, love it. So, wow. yeah, so that's a great analogy, Leah. Fight for freedom in your home, and that will protect that could protect us even from a world threat. Right. And it will. Right. Yeah. We don't have to, we don't have to hide and kowtow when it comes to these ominous ideas of global threats, you yeah. know, that we can be aware of where we exercise our freedoms and who we petition in order to keep those freedoms strong and robust as yeah. robust as possible. So we got just a couple more minutes here. So hit, hit on some of the, the bills that you want people to know about right now, currently in Indiana and uh, what they can do to help you in your cause to make sure that we have our legislators doing the right things down at the state house to protect our freedoms. 
Yes. And strategically, if you look at how do you protect freedom and the freedom to do what you want, then you look at um, this data age of the enforcement mechanisms. And the enforcement mechanism is that they have all the data on us to turn off and on what we can and cannot do based on some social credit score, right? So why have we as Stanford Health Freedom pivoted largely from fighting directly the mandate, which we haven't. We have several states. So I think we have five states right now who have active um, vaccine status discrimination bills. Indiana is not one of them right now. But privacy is where this stops and starts, right? If we want to get to the core of this, let's protect our privacy. The American Revolution was premised on privacy. You know, we didn't want people coming in and disturbing our homes and our effects and our papers based on no good reason. And so let's get back to that core, that fundamental value of um, taking away the enforcement mechanism that you can't tell me where I can and can't shop or can and cannot be educated if my sensitive health information is kept private as it's supposed to be. Mm, right. So it's good. Um, so one of those bills is um, HB 1083. It's a house bill on student immunizations, super simple issues, not a big ask. We're trying to get a committee hearing right now in the house education committee. Chairman Baining is there over that committee. He's the one that we need to ask, please set this for a hearing um, that bill would do two simple things. One, we saw a big issue during the COVID pandemic with the official high school transcripts having the vaccine status on them. Mm. And kids who were asking for their official transcripts to apply to a college or to apply for their first or second job were coming up against this issue of this is one of the first things they see about me. It's required in Indiana statute to have vaccine status on your official high school transcript. So we want to say that's unnecessary. That's sensitive information. It shouldn't be mixed with a education record that if, okay, you get accepted to a college and then their um, registration process wants to look at your health records. Fine. That's that college's choice, but the admissions office doesn't need to know that based on your official high school transcripts. So that's a simple fix within that house bill 1083. And the second thing that bill would do is it would um, change the power to add new mandates in the state of Indiana. Right now under Indiana statute, the Indiana Department of Health, so this bureaucratic um, agency. Unelected officials. Unelected, unaccountable, Mm -hmm. can add with a stroke of a pen a new mandate to attend school in the state of Indiana. And this came to our attention when the CDC special committee decided to put the COVID vaccine for kids on their recommended schedule, right? So that's not a mandate because the CDC does not have power to mandate, but the CDC doing that opens the door for states to say, okay, it now needs to be mandated. Because this, because the CDC told us, and we, and this is the thing that drives me nuts, is the, even the health department, like the gynecologist, Dr. Box, who runs our Indiana State uh, Health Department, she, she w- she'll point to, well, the CDC, well, the CDC within seconds. Yes, within seconds. With, it's there's just no like, time for independent analysis. That's right. It's just well, the CDC says so. Do you? Excuse me. Do you not have a brain? I mean, are you not qualified? I mean, like, tell what, us why. Yes, exactly. And but it's like the CDC is God to these people. Mm-hmm. It's like the moment Dr. Fauci or the CDC or anyone out in Washington says jump, they say, okay, how high? Even before COVID, the CDC has overseen the greatest dec- decline in human health. 
And so we have to start thinking for ourselves yeah. when it comes to the care of our children and of our individual bodies. And so if you look at um, how do these new mandates get added to schedule? So our state directors, including us here in Indiana, started looking at where is this power and let's make sure it's with the General Assembly, that there has to be some debate, some room for public comment and discourse and to bring the information to the table instead of a bureaucrat being able to sign a piece of paper and add this to our schedule, which, friends, that could add 17 doses to the childhood schedule if that's mandated. That's, that's just sick. Um, okay, so that was HB 1083. 1083. That's a House bill. In Baining's committee. Yes. So reach out to Representative Baining in Indiana. Say or we, anyone else on the education okay, committee. Okay. Anyone else on the ed Educate, say, let's, okay. let's get this a hearing. You okay. know, tell the chairman that we want a hearing on 1083. It's a common sense bill I for think Indiana. one of the kind of the pit bull fighters on the education committee is my rep, uh, Chuck Goodrich. He's on there. So reach out to Chuck. Say, hey, Micah told me to call you, and you need to push this bill through and get Baining to, to give it a hearing in committee. So uh, – so, yeah, so there's two people right there you can reach out to. It's a great committee. Yeah, it's a, it's good. a good committee of um, lawmakers. So let's make this happen. And then the other bill that we really want to see succeed is Senate Bill 321. And this bill can cause some confusion with the Freedom Fighters because... Is this the one that has to do with with school health officials, right? Or school health... Clinics. Clinics in the school. Yes. Okay, so, so we, I've heard this one. And and again, it's at first... At first cause or first look you're like ooh, i don't want a health clinic in in the school and i think andy zay is the one who's this is his bill correct yes andy zay is the author here okay. and here's here's the deal is there are currently in the state of indiana 48 school-based health clinics and it's not just in liberal towns there are some rural ones this is they're all placed here under the guise of greater access to health care for kids right and so, but we also know if you look at the insurance um, guidance that all of the pro school-based health center entities are saying, hey, this is a forum where the mom and dad doesn't even have to take off school for their kid to get health care. It's like, wait, no, we don't want kids getting health care without <laughs> parents present. There you go. But yet they're already saying these things. The 48 clinics exist. Five more are in the works. Then we have HHS give $25 million to expand the school-based health clinics, three of those grants came to the state of Indiana already. And then the Governor's Public Health Commission, which is the biggest talk of 2023's legislative session in Indiana, has school-based health clinics as one of their top five priorities. And so we said, if these clinics are going to exist, they have to be regulated because they're already happening and the vaccine liaisons are already being put in schools like the Hamilton County Schools. Vaccine liaisons are just one part of services that can come through a school-based health clinic. So how do we protect the integrity of our community and families and the standard of care that kids are receiving? Because without that parent advocate in a healthcare, a dynamic healthcare encounter, that standard will decline because the only other person you have there is an adult that has a special interest in the decision the child makes. And a child is literally incapable of informed consent. Yeah. So these religious freedoms come through the family unit, come through the parent. The informed consent comes through the parent when you're dealing with a minor child. And we want to say, okay, fine. You want access. You have all these school-based health centers. If they're going to exist, this bill does not create them. 
Okay, they're already there. It simply regulates something that is already happening. So what so what Senator Zay is saying, he's like, hey, we've got a problem here. They're here. We, we're going to make sure that they can't abuse children. So that's what three, Senate Bill 321 does. So we should support Senate Bill 321, correct? Is that what I'm hearing? We should support it because it does two major things, and that is, A, it makes sure that parents are always on site for any healthcare encounter that is not a school nurse service. So school nurse services already exist, right? Those are first aid, triaging emergency emergency situations that happen on site during school. So if it's not a school nurse service, anything beyond that scope, parent has to be on site, otherwise no go. And then it also says that these healthcare records have to be completely separate from education records. We're not going to intermix behavioral health, mental health, um, vaccine records, family planning services <laughs> that are going on within these school-based health centers. We're not going to intermix any of that with their education record to set them up for medical discrimination. If they have type one diabetes or migraines or a, a vaccine status that a teacher doesn't like or a mental health status. So those two things will greatly protect the standard of care and protect our kids. And so we want to see that to succeed yeah. so that our kids are not left exposed while this school-based health center model expands. So that is in Baldwin's committee. Is that right? Right now? That is the insurance and finance committee. It's chairman Baldwin. In Which Senate. it was chairman Zay until Zay stood up to Rod Bray, who's the uh, pro tem of the Senate. Uh, and he got his hand slapped. So uh, Bray didn't like Zay speaking out against Zay's weak abortion uh, bill back in the summer or, or his approach to abortion. And uh, so this is how leadership does it. Bray said, Andy Zay, you cannot question your God, who is me. So because you did, I'm going to remove you from this committee. And he gave it to Scott Baldwin. So now do you think this, you know, if it was Zay's committee, it would probably have gotten a hearing like hook, line, and sinker. It probably would have been no brainer. But because Bray removes A, because Bray said, You will not question your almighty God, which is Rod Bray, then you, like, now we don't know if this bill might not actually even get a hearing. You think it might. You said Baldwin is open to it, but We've potentially. Had a hearing. But the hearing did not include the vote. So okay. you'll see that sometimes. Okay. You'll see where this is a sticky issue. We're just going to take testimony this hearing. We'll bring it back for, for amend and vote. But they don't have to do that. Correct. So that's the key, friends, is that we get the amend and vote hearing in the Senate so that this can go to the Senate floor and get yeah. to the House in time. If this doesn't happen, the the full weight and blame sits on Rod Bray the president of the Senate because uh, the pro tem of the Senate, because he, he was, he was appalled that anyone would speak out against him in his own caucus. He removed Andy Zay from this, from this committee as the leader of this committee. If Andy Zay was still there, this would have gotten an amended vote. Probably no problem. It would have moved on to second reading and we would have been off and running with a good chance. So just watch it. And if we can't, if your kids are violated in the public schools, and you, the parent, are unaware, remember, this was Republican Senator Rod Bray's doing and no one else to blame but him because of because he didn't want anyone speaking out again. This is the problem. We talked about this a few uh, weeks ago with Dr. Stock and the legislative rules changes that we're working towards because this is the kind of crap that keeps 
the freedoms that we long for, it keeps them at bay because you have egos and you have people like Bray who do not want anyone questioning their, their, their ideas. They don't want debate because they can't defend them. He knows he can't defend being weak on abortion. He just wants everyone to shut up and get in line. And now here we are. So that's my little uh, soapbox there. But very much it ticks me off because now a great bill like this comes up to protect mom and dad and, and, and you know, uh, Billy and Sally. And it may not happen now. So we've got, a, we got more heavy lifting to do as the stand for health freedom people. So yes, yes, there is some heavy lifting and you know, it won't be without work to get this bill. It's amended vote hearing and get it over to the house where I believe it does have strong support. Um, over there, there is opposition from the public health department in the state of Indiana, from Dr. Box, from the, um, the other chair of the governor's public health commission, Luke Kinley, he opposes it. So there is, it shows you that the health freedom movement needs it based on who's opposing yeah. it. Luke so Kinley, it, this is crazy. Like Luke uh, Kinley used to be my, my Senator before state Senator before Victoria Sparts. And I'm like, how are these people like in my community right now? Someone like this saying, hey, no, mom and dad, you shouldn't have a right to know what's going into your kids' bodies at school. Like this is a Republican former senator who is now working for the for the the health officials and the Pfizer's and the Moderna's and and they've just been bought off and it drives me up the wall. So if you're wondering, you know, oh, do we want this school-based health center bill? Well, Kinley and Box don't. Okay. So if that doesn't tell you enough, then I don't <laughs> just, know. Just do whatever Kinley, whatever Kinley and Box are doing, just do the opposite and you'll be in line with and, godly and values. I don't know if we can say that about everything <laughs> Kinley. I don't know him well enough. But with no, the, I think it's the, pretty accurate. With the Governor's Public Health Commission itself, it is not pro-local yeah, control. And yeah. that is our big thing, friends, with the, the third issue we're really watching for you right now in the State House of Indiana is what is happening with the recommendations, the report that came from the Governor's Public Health Commission. We know that one of the co-chairs of that committee, um, Judith Monroe, is the president of the CDC Foundation. She used to be a part of the Mitch Daniels administration here in the state of Indiana. And she said herself, Ms. Monroe said, that this will be a pilot program for the U.S. So oh we know that Indiana is sitting in a spot to reform our public health policies, our public health framework to set um, this this uh, model for the U.S. And so this is a big effort. There's some weight and steam behind this effort. And so we watched it very closely. We have analyzed the report. Our full analysis is on StanfordHealthFreedom.com if you go to the Indiana page. And so what is going to come of this? A watering down of local control. There's already a bill that manifests that, SB4. We do not want local control watered down because we watched the Governor's Public Health Commission and the questions that came to them about how will this affect local control? And they said, oh, no, no, it'll be the county's option to participate. <laughs> and then they laughed just like you are. And they laughed and they said, but it'll be really painful if they don't. I, I knew so, that that's where that was going. Anytime they say, oh, no, you can choose to participate. But let me guess, and I don't know this to be true, but let me guess, they probably will lose a lot of money if they don't go along with this. Will it be in the form of highway funding? Mm, Who knows? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it might not be in the form of the public health dollars, which, get this, 
they want to increase 29 times. So you look at an agency that abused and used families for three years and took no responsibility for it. And now they want a budget increase of 2,900%. That's 29 times the budget increase. And that's more money, more power for public health in the state of Indiana. And we don't stand for that. So that's really going to come through the budget process. You know, when you look at this report and the recommendations that came out of it, but SB4 waters down home rule by putting a regional overlay that so comes we, from the Department of Health. So we're fighting SB4, so we want to see that one die. Did you say that you had a breakfast recently and the author of SB4 showed up? Uh, who was who is that? Um, so uh, Ed Charbonneau okay. is a senator. He's been there for a long time, chairman of the health committee. He is the author of SB4. And SB4, I can't say that when I read this bill, I was hot to trot. But when you look at the undertones of the bill yeah. and what it will do to local control, we don't want it to pass in its current form. Yeah. I mean, I guarantee you some form of this bill will pass, but it needs to be shaped and molded before it gets out of the Indiana General Assembly. And and Charbonneau is probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not really a champion of health freedom rights by any means, correct? He is largely unavailable to us and... I, I understand that he really respects what the health agencies want. <laughs> so so he's probably been bought off. And again, these are Republican legislators, everyone. I, I am a Republican. I, I do not subscribe to Reagan's 11th Amendment where I do not speak ill of fellow Republicans. I look at guys like Charbonneau. I say, you have totally abused and prostituted Republican values for your own gain, and you've you've hurt the American people. Republican values and principles are good principles, but this is not it. And so you need to call Senator Charbonneau and say, get in line with Republican values, which which get which get the government CDC agencies' hands out of our lives. And and he has the power to do so. He's the head of the health committee. Right. So he has he's got a lot of power to do it, but I'm sure he is being bought off all over the place by these by these big pharma companies and by you know agencies like you know the health departments and CDC. And the solution is a keep home rule strong, keep local control strong so that we have influence our voice matters at the local level. Don't take this up to a regional or state level when it comes to school quarantine rules and mask mandates and whatever else that comes of the next disease um, outbreak. So we want home rule strong. We don't want budget increases for an agency that failed us over the last three years. And we want strong data privacy. And this bill calls into question who will own the data. There are some questions that are created with the states getting access directly to county level data. So is that de-identified, aggregated? And if it is de-identified, our own um, state offices have told us that Data can be re-identified with 97% certainty right now with all the profiling. So de-identification doesn't really matter anyway. We need it de-identified and aggregated in Mm. big batches. Mm -hmm. All we need to see is trends. We're not trying to make each and every one of us a population-based experiment. If you can see the public trends, you can serve the public. There you go. You don't need to know. You don't need to know what Leah Wilson's doing personally. You don't need to know what Micah Beck was doing personally. Right. Yeah, you could probably know what Nathan Peternell's doing personally. Nothing. I just wanted to make sure you were still there, man. I mean, it's like no. Been- <laughs> I, there's, there's been a lot of big words here, and I am. I'll, oh, I'll no, be. I'll, you should have stopped me. No, no. I'm. I'm. I'm keenly aware. Ta ha. And ta ta. That's that's the the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
sometimes I just, uh, you know, I resonate with our average listener because there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of people here that you guys have thrown out names. Oh, nice. we're, we're geeking out on, well, this is the insiders like talking about. For like, all of you who are like me. <laughs> yeah, let's just still this down now. Let's we, not leave yes, them. For yes, the, for, the, for the dumb ones among us who so what, want to fight and want a crosshair. By the way. We, the crosshairs go, and these are these are not literal crosshairs, but, but the crosshairs <laughs> of our phone calls. Okay, first of all, with, I think people understand what a crosshair is. I mean, that's pretty common knowledge you're not like saying yes but we have enemies micah who want to quote us wrong weren't you the guy that told me yesterday that i couldn't say certain things because they'll rip off a a, a portion of it and and then i'll have to feel the phone calls saying fire nathan peter now i'll be like i know Uh, we're not going to do it. I'm sorry you uh, said that. Okay, funny. so we're, we're 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 over an hour in. Uh, Maria is going to kill oh, us. She's going to uh, have your head because she listens to all of our stuff to make sure. Tell she... her to cut out all the names. No one needs to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can go back and I was feverishly writing down all the bills okay. that are standing out here now, in the strategy. On that point, on that point, just as a disclaimer. This is not Leah coming down on these leaders of the Senate. This is Micah Beckwith coming down on him. So, you know, for health freedom, I know you have good relations. You try to maintain good relationships, and uh, and you're just bringing the the information. But but there is a you there's a right. Good leaders are not afraid of criticism and and feedback. So and they need to be held accountable. They need to be held accountable. Right. You sign up for that job. It doesn't mean that I hate Rod Bray as a person or or Ed Charbonneau as a person. I don't think they're bad people. I think they actually probably are very good people, but they are not being held to account for leading for, on Republican values, and they're doing things that that tell me they are insecure and they don't know that they can stand on their own arguments because they don't want robust debate to happen. If you believe in what you're doing, like you don't have any, you don't have any problem with people coming and questioning you because you you've thought about it, you've you've developed good arguments to defend your worldview. Okay, let the let the criticisms come because I can I can defend what I believe. If I can't defend what I believe, I probably have a hole somewhere in my worldview and needs to be shored up, or I know it's not going to work and I'm just trying to get it through regardless. And so all that to say, that's why we, we call people out by name. That's why we, we hold them to account and your legislator. If you're listening to this, that's what you signed up for. You should be thankful that people are engaging you this way because that's, that will help you become a better legislator. Don't you want that? Isn't that what you, wouldn't you like to be known as somebody who stood on strong constitutional values and defended the people? Yeah, you would Sometimes you get it wrong, and that's when people like myself or Nathan and maybe maybe Leah, I don't know, like, but right. yeah, that's where we call you out. But the only way that we can hold these ladies and gentlemen to account is if we use our voice first. Yes. So if you inform them, if you just go sit in the state house for a few hours, you don't have to have a reason to be there or anyone to shadow. You just sit on a bench for a few hours. You will see how busy these men and women are working on policy. And so they rely upon outside voices to be aware of what's going on. And that's okay. They're human. So if we don't use our voice first, then what are we holding them accountable yeah, to? It's good. And that's the whole point is, yes, we should hold lawmakers, representatives accountable, especially to do the job they promised to do. You know, in Indiana, we have a super majority Republican Party. What does that mean? 
unless we inform <laughs> them and hold them to account. So absolutely. I Ron DeSantis didn't have a supermajority. He may now, I don't know what the, what the legislative look up, uh, makeup is after this last election, but when he first got into office, the last, his first four years, he didn't have a supermajority. Oh, Florida, Florida is not super red. Yeah. People are under such um, a misunderstanding that Florida is the most Republican yeah. state. But no, no. can you imagine, this is what I, this is what I've been telling people in Indiana all over the state when I travel and speak. Can you imagine if Ron DeSantis was our governor and we had a supermajority Republican legislature like we do now, these, these, like you got, you got Todd Houston and Rod Bray uh, and Eric Holcomb are kind of the leaders of the Republican party in Indiana. It's all three of them don't want to be the leaders. You can see it clear they don't want to take the arrows they would probably do the right thing if they had a Ron DeSantis out there saying I'll take the arrows for you come follow me mm-hmm. and and we would be the 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 shining city on a hill mm-hmm. of conservative freedom loving examples for the whole world to see, not just the United States, but for the whole world to see. And we would be talking about our governor right now as a 2024 presidential candidate. I promise you, if Ron DeSantis was here, or if we had a governor that was willing to, or someone to step up to say, follow me into the night, I will take the arrows for you, but we're going to go this way. We don't have that. We have been void of, give me one leader in Indiana right now that's, that's doing that. I can't think of one. I, I, I cannot think of one person in our state assembly, in our legislature, in the executive branch that says, oh, that's the guy to get behind and follow. That's the girl to get behind and follow. I can't think of it. That is sad when you think about Indiana being the supermajority Republican state. And you know what that means is it's only a matter of time before we lose our majority as the Republicans because Indiana's going to say, eh, it didn't really work. We didn't really have good leadership, and we're going to go give the Democrats a try. And that's going to get real bad for people. That's when you'll start to see everything you're pushing for, Leah. They won't even consider it for a moment if Democrats are in power. And will it take it coming to that is the question. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we can do, and we saw this happen across the country um, during the midterm elections last year, is bring your friends to the table that have a strong vision for their state. We need strong state sovereignty believing political figures um, in positions of leadership. You know, we can't always say that the people in these positions are leaders. They're elected officials, but we need leaders in these positions. And so bring these people to the table. Let's support them. Let's run these candidates and um, secure the integrity of our constitutional values, of our conservative values in the state of Indiana. Amen. What can people do to sign up for Stand for Health Freedom? Go to StandForHealthFreedom.com, click join, and then you will be signed up to receive the action alerts that we send out around the country and in the state of Indiana specifically. And when you get those emails, open them, read them, take action, and share with your friends and family because together we stand stronger. Thank you, friends. Yeah. Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining us. What awesome. a fascinating conversation. And uh, thank, thank you for your leadership. Yes, thank you. Pre- really appreciate you. And uh, I've been just very impressed with how you've been leading and, and taking charge and, and moving people in the right direction. Uh, you're doing it well, so keep it up. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Nathan, uh, I don't want to bloviate anymore because Maria is going to have our, our next for this. I think we're, 
What are we now? We're um, oh, an hour and 18 minutes. <clears throat> oh, she's going to kill us. Yeah, you're dead. She wants it to be 30 minutes long. Uh, and so we're, uh, she's like, I have to listen to every, I have to listen to all your messages. I have to listen to Jesus, sex and politics. I have to listen to anything you do online. Maria says she does. <laughs> she wants us to have more listeners. And she feels like, you know, by, by keeping it shorter, we would have more listeners. We could break this up into two episodes. You but could do that. I don't, I don't want well, to, I don't want to do that. People, okay. yeah, what do you think, Leah? We just need some highlights. If people only want highlights, pull out the three-minute segments. Otherwise, they can listen in. That's hard to do. I have to go back and actually listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. Maybe we'll do that. We'll, oh, give, we'll give that a... just shot yeah. in the foot. <laughs> you know, people always want to know how they can help. Give them a way to help. Right. That's right. Yeah. If anyone wants to edit some of these and pull out highlights and... Uh, just not one sentence highlights. That's right. All right. This has been Jesus Sex and Politics. Thank you for listening. Go stand for health freedom. I'm Micah. <laughs> and I'm Nathan. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Jesus Sex and Politics. <laughs>